this morning, so I got the call from Steve last week, and so I am here. Um, be in prayer for me this morning. I've been sick all morning for some reason. Um, I'm feeling fine now, but there's no guarantee. I'll be in here the whole time, but I just pray that God gives me the strength um, through His Spirit that I would be here uh, the rest of this morning. Many of us, when we get up in the morning and look at ourselves in the mirror, most of us look at ourselves and go, oh, boy, I don't know what happened over the night, but boy, this doesn't look good. And so, what, what do we do? We maybe take a shower, get dressed, do our hair. Uh, some of us don't have to worry about that. But those of you who have it, do that. Ladies, I know that you do that as well. And then we put on our face. And then we go out in the world, whatever that may be, whether it be work, whether it be getting the kids off to school, or whatever. But it just dawned on me that we do the same things a lot of times in church. Uh, we put on our faces when we walk in the doors and greet everybody and smile and everything, but there's something going on deep down inside. And it's really worked for us to put on that smile. The problem is, is that we try to do it under our own strength. And as I'm going to look at some verses this morning, <clears throat> there's two verses here that call upon us. They are actually commands that Paul gives that we are called by God to do. <coughs> there's many Christians that separate, that are separate <clears throat> from the world. The Christian has been made alive in Christ while the unregenerate follow the course of this world. A Christian should display the love of the Father to all, while the prince of this world has no love. Christians should obey the word of God and keep his commands, while the world is unable to, or even wants to. The world is in, constant, in a constant state of rebellion against God, but the Christian has been called to a life of unending worship. From the time we wake up in the morning to the time we go to sleep, and even when we are asleep, we are called to praise God. We are created to glorify His name, and our entire lives should be centered on worshiping His precious name. Today, worship seems to be confined to music. After the church service, somebody may ask, How was worship today? Some may say, Well, it was kind of missing something. Or... Well, the singers weren't on key, or, well, the drummer missed a couple beats. But worship is not just about music, but it's about how we live our life daily. Worship should always include rejoicing, praying, and being thankful. And as I said in a few verses this morning, we're going to find Paul exhorting us to do these three things, as he did to the Thessalonian church. Not only does he tell us to do all these three things, but he commands us to do all of them without end. He says to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all circumstances. The Christian life should be one of never ending, a never-ending state of praise and worship to God through rejoicing, praying, and thanksgiving. They work together. They build up each other. We see that they heighten the effect and the value of one another. Prayer and thanksgiving lead to rejoicing. 
Thanksgiving and rejoicing are times of prayers. And prayers and rejoicing result in thanksgiving. These three cover the entirety of the Christian life. We are to rejoice in all things. We are to pray at all times. And we are to give thanks in all situations. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. No matter what happens in our lives, we can remain hopeful and rejoice because we know that God is in control and working for good. One of the most perplexing questions for a Christian is this one. What is God's will for my life? When we ask that question, we generally want to know what job should I take? What school should I attend? What person should I marry? What ministry should I be involved in? Often we ask the question at a crisis point, as we should. But today, we're going to challenge, the challenge is that we, in this time, look at all three of these things simultaneously. As the test suggests, that when we ask, what is God's will for my life? At the end of these verses, he makes that clear. Each of these commands is in the imperative, which means these commands are constant and continuous. Paul is not really talking about our feelings for the most part, because we can't really control our feelings. But Paul is addressing our mindset, our focus, our attitude. These three commands are not difficult to understand. We know God wants us to be joyful. He wants us to be praying, and he wants us to be filled with thanksgiving. However, the way in which it's constructed is the difficult part. In your outlines, you'll see that we have three sections. Maintain constant joy, maintain continual prayer, and maintain consistent thankfulness. Why? Because it is living in God's will. There once was a young boy who spent the week at his grandfather's farm. While walking the grounds, he noticed the chickens. They were out scratching and playing around. And the little lad said, as he looked at the chickens, Well, they ain't got it. Next he saw a colt in the field playing and kicking up its heels, to which he replied, Well, he ain't got it. And after examining all the animals in his grandfather's farm, he saw that none of them had it. But finally the young boy found what he was looking for, an old donkey in the barn. As he stared at the donkey's long, frowning face, and the way the donkey was just standing there, he screamed to his grandfather, Quick, quick, I found it, I found it! When his grandfather asked what he had found, he said, Grandpa, I found an animal that has the same kind of religion that you have. Now I mean that to say that what we have on our face, what we wear on the outside, a lot of times portrays what is on the inside. The challenge this morning is not that we should rejoice sometimes, or pray occasionally, or give thanks when we feel like it. But the difficulty begins when it says, always rejoice. Continually pray. And give thanks in all circumstances. Writing over 100 years ago, Professor James Denny of Scotland called these three commands the standing orders of the gospel. They are standing orders because they always apply to every Christian in every situation. 
And in the Greek language, it makes this very clear that it is a continual process of rejoicing, praying, and thanksgiving. This suggests that the real impact of the gospel will not be seen when we don't feel joyful. When we don't pray. And we don't have any reason to be thankful for. That's when we discover if our Christianity is genuine or it's not. Let's look at this first one, rejoice always. Some translations put it this way. Be cheerful no matter what. Be full of joy at all times. Be happy in your faith at all times. Some people have said that the shortest verse in the New Testament, and you've heard this probably, is Jesus wept. However, in the Greek language, there's three words. Jesus shed tears. So the shortest verse in the scripture is always rejoice. The word joy in some form or another is mentioned some 70 times in the New Testament. In the book of Philippians alone, joy is mentioned in one form or another some 16 different times. What makes it so remarkable is that it was written by Paul who was a prisoner. While he was suffering the most extreme conditions and persecutions and hostilities, being accused of all kinds of things, his reputation was being attacked and sullied by those who called themselves followers of Christ. And in the midst of that sort of personal persecution, as well as the hostility, hostility and suffering at the hands of the Romans, he makes mention of joy 16 times. Paul knew the grief of life. He knew because he experienced it. Consider who he was talking to, the Thessalonians. They were under persecution. As we look into Paul's life in Acts chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, we see this. Some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the town, and the next day he left with Barnabas for Durban. Another account of Paul's trials, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, near death many times. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the depths of the sea. On frequent journeys, I faced many dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city and in the open country. I have faced dangers from being accused, labor and hardships, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my care for all the church. Wow. I don't think many of us can put ourselves in that type of category. That we have gone through those kind of hardships. 
And I know that the hardships, I don't want to make light of the hardships that we experience on a daily basis. But I want us to put in retrospect what Paul is saying. And the reason why Paul can rejoice in the midst of these hardships, most of us have that answer and understand it, but have a hard time choosing that, making a choice about it, applying it. In this, we see four types of suffering that Paul suffered. We have physical punishment, rejection, impoverishment, stress, responsibilities. If anyone was exempt to give thanks and be joyful, it was Paul for all that God allowed in his life. John MacArthur writes, Christian joy is what springs up from the deep down confidence that God is in complete and perfect control in everything and will bring from it our good in time and our glory in eternity. That's where we need to have our focus. The circumstances that we face on a regular and daily basis do not compare to what God has for us in eternity. Shelly and I attended a memorial service a couple weeks ago uh, for a real good friend of Shelly's who was battling cancer for 17 years. Some here in this room have battled cancer for years and have, are sitting here this morning because of God's grace. But unfortunately, God called this lady home. But in the midst of her trials and tribulations, the hardships she was experiencing, she was a mother, she was a wife, she was a sister. She had a ministry in a church. And it was amazing to me that everybody who went and visited her were blessed by her. Because what they witnessed was the joy that she had. Not in the circumstances she was going through, but in where she knew where she, knew she was going when this was all over. Now, many of us would say that in that suffering, we would be begging God, please take me home, because I can't take this anymore. That should be our plea daily. Not that we want to leave this world, but our focus is on what God has for us. These things are going to pass away, they're temporary, but what God has for us is eternal. The second word of this verse talks about the continuousness or the to be joyful always. In Philippians 4.4, we know this verse, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Well, joy is not the equivalent of happiness. Happiness is an emotion based on our circumstances, usually. How about when you first buy a home, you're happy? You're even more happy when you make the final payment. And usually as long as things are going your way, you're relatively happy. But in many situations, we cannot control those circumstances. Things won't always go our way. In fact, sometimes our circumstances may be exceedingly unhappy. Yet in either case, happy or not, the growing believer still can experience joy. 
Because their joy is not dependent on circumstances, but in their relationship to God and Christ. Familiar verse James 1-2 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials. Verse Peter 1-8 says, Whom having not seen, you love, and whom though now you see him not, yet believing, and rejoicing with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy is also a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit born by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's why we can't manufacture joy. That's why when we put on our face in the morning, it's manufacturing that joy. But it doesn't come from our strength. It comes from the Holy Spirit within us. That's where it starts. It's the result of God's work in our lives. Joy is also a choice we make. And that's why Paul gives us the command to rejoice always. We can always look at the negatives and focus on them. The easy question for you this morning is, do you see the glass half empty or half full? What type of personality do you have? And where does that always point you? We can make a choice even in major situations. But God's desire for us is that we choose to focus on the joy that comes only from Him. Some of the reasons why we may not rejoice. Maybe we don't fully understand the relationship we have in Christ. Maybe there, there are trials that are overwhelming us that are just so large that it just has us and engulfs us. And they take a stronghold in our life. It's exactly where the enemy wants us. In that place where he has us, that we cannot function the way God has intended. We may not rejoice because we may not fully trust or believe the promises that God has in his word. Knowing the truth is, the truth is one thing, but believing and trusting in it is another. There are times that even the strongest believer has that lapse in their faith. And oftentimes it follows a time of grief or stress or something major in their life. And we begin to ask why. The answer comes always. Our focus is on the wrong thing. We are unable to have joy. We may not rejoice because of our uh, ungrateful attitude. We may not rejoice because of unreal expectations. We've heard this before. Some teach that if we will just serve the Lord, He will be obligated to make us healthy and wealthy. Those same teach that God will shield us from any hardships and that any trouble we face is a result of our own sin or lack of faith. But those are false. Because we have evidence of what Paul is talking about in his own life. Of the hardships he went through, he still found joy. Mm -hmm. 
Psalm 32, 11 says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice. Shout for joy, all you who are his people. As we look at Paul's life in the very beginning as he writes this, and says, Rejoice always. Don't compare yourself with Paul. But challenge yourself right where you are. Is there something going on in your life that is robbing you of your joy? Not happiness, but thoroughly taking away the understanding, the knowledge, the hope that you have in Christ. Knowing that someday you will be perfected. Secondly, living in God's will, we must maintain continuous prayer. Pray without ceasing. Some translations say, never stop praying, or pray all the time. Our prayers are conscious. They're deliberate. Oftentimes we repeat our prayers, and we must be persistent. I think that's one of the hardest things I have personally, is persistency in prayer. I get to a place sometimes where I prayed and prayed and prayed and I don't see any results. And I just move on and say, you know what, it's time to move on. And I lose sight of, that's my weakness. God calls me to continue to be persistent in prayer. I like this little story. It really grabs the essence of how to pray continuously. It says, a number of ministers were assembled for the discussion of a difficult question. And among others, it was asked how the command to pray without ceasing could be complied with. Various suppositions were stated, and at length, one of the number was appointed to write an essay upon, upon it and read it at the next meeting. Unbeknownst to them, a woman in the other room had overheard their conversation. And she exclaimed, What? A whole month? A whole month waiting to tell you the meaning of that text? It's one of the easiest things that I know. Well, well, said the old minister, Mary, what can you say about it? Let us know how you understand it. Can you pray all the time? Oh, yes, sir, I can. What? When you have so much to do? Why, sir, the more I have to do, the more I pray. Indeed, Mary, let us know, for we don't think it's possible. Well, sir, the woman said, when I first open the eyes in the morning, I pray, Lord, open the eyes of my understanding. We just heard that song. And while I'm dressing, I pray that I may be clothed with the robe of righteousness. And when I am washing, I ask for the washing and regeneration of the Spirit. And as he began to work, I pray that I may have strength equal to my day. And when I began to kindle the fire, I pray that my heart may be cleansed from all its impurities. And while preparing and partaking of breakfast, I desire to be fed with the hidden manna and the sincere milk of the word. And as I am busy with little children, I look up to God as my father and pray for the spirit of adoption that I may be his child. And so on all day. Everything I do furnishes me with the opportunity for prayer. Enough, enough, the minister said. I believe you have answered the question quite convincingly. 
What does it mean to pray without ceasing? Does it mean that we literally pray 24-7 while we're driving a car, while we're uh, sleeping, while we're at work? While I'm here teaching, I'm praying, and while you're listening, you're praying? No, it doesn't mean that, because that wouldn't be practical. It's a continual attitude of prayer. How many times do you drive your car down the street and you see a homeless person? Do you offer up a prayer to God? Or how many times do you see somebody in a grocery store that's struggling with a child? Do you pray for that mother or the child? How many times do you see somebody struggling uh, walking or sitting or standing? Do you keep that mindfully? an attitude of prayer. With a computer, it's possible to do what is called multitasking, right? But in reality, it's hard for most of us to do multitask. And what it sounds like is we are supposed to multitask. We are supposed to live our lives daily, but pray continually. I really believe that praying without ceasing means more than just trying to maintain that continual. I believe that God's word is practical and I don't think that God would ask us to do something that wasn't possible. The scripture reveals that pray without ceasing simply means to continue in prayer. Don't quit. Don't be discouraged. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. may be familiar to some of us. After the disciples had asked Jesus how to pray, Jesus gives the prayer of the Our Father. But in verse 5, he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has been has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is shut now, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. Here he speaks of a friend who goes to another friend's house around midnight and is looking for loaves of bread. You see, in those days, they didn't have 24-hour convenience stores. So if they needed bread in the middle of the night, they would go to a friend's house. The man had an unexpected guest and was embarrassed of his need. As his friend refused to disrupt his family just to loan him some bread, he continues to knock on the door. He finally gets up because of his continuous knock and gives bread to the friend. Jesus is illustrating here that God is not like a reluctant friend. He loves us and will always meet our needs. Not our wants, but our needs. If persistence will work on a reluctant friend, how much more will persistent prayer touch the heart of a loving, gracious, and giving God? God responds in persistence. So the idea is continue to pray 
continue to seek the Lord in prayer. In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, another familiar parable. Let's turn there. Then he spoke a parable to them. Always, that men ought always to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in the city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me, for my adversaries. And he would not for a while, but after a while he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wearies me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will he, he really find excuse me. Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on earth? What is Jesus saying here? He is describing a judge who feared not God, neither regarded man. He was unmerciful. He had no sense of morality or justice. And Jesus said the widow came to him seeking justice from her adversary. Someone had taken advantage of her and robbed her of what little she had. Initially, the judge wasn't interested in her case because the widow was troubling him. I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wearies me. Again, we see the contrast. God is not an unjust judge, but a merciful father. If persistence brings response from such a merciless man as the judge, how much more will persistence touch the heart of a compassionate God? The point of both of these is to continue to pray, continue to seek, continue to persist, because God God of love will answer those prayers. Why should we pray? Persistence of prayer glorifies God. It aligns our will with His. It depends on God to meet our needs. It gives us cleansing from our sin as we confess. It gives us victory over our enemy. It gives us fellowship with God. Gives us wisdom from His Word. And brings us peace. Philippians 4, 6, 7 says, Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. To pray without ceasing is to pray persistently and earnestly. That means we don't lose heart. We have the instructions and the example from God's word concerning the importance of this command. Our motivation is to glorify God, align ourselves with His will, and put our dependence on Him instead of ourselves. We must be conscious. We must be deliberate. 
We must continue and we must be persistent. So the first two we've seen, rejoice in everything, pray continually, and this last one, be thankful in all things. One day a king had saved the life of one of his subjects, and every day afterwards she came to his gate with proclamations of gratitude. I can never begin to pay the debt I owe him, she would cry. One day the king in his chariot passed her cottage, and he saw in her garden a tree bearing some luscious fruit, and was seized with a desire to taste it. When he sent his servant with the request that he be given some of the fruit to take to the king, and she replied, that she only had enough fruit to meet her own needs. She thus laid bare the fact that her expressions of gratitude had been mere words which lacked the element of the truthfulness of her life. We do use thank you flippantly in our lives. I know I do. Oh, thanks for that. Somebody does, oh, I'm so thankful. But it's deeper than that. If we look close at the wording here, it talks about to be thankful not for all things, but thankful in all things. There's a very big difference between the two. Being thankful simply means to be grateful. Many times we refer when we're praying for our meals, we ask somebody, will you return thanks for our meal? today. It speaks of an attitude that reminds us that we owe everything we are and have to the one who saved us. In James 1.17 it says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father, with whom there is no variation, neither shadow nor turning. One of the greatest gifts that we should be thankful for, obviously, is our eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We should also be grateful and thankful for the indwelling of the Spirit. We should be thankful with the gifts God has given each one of us, that we may exercise them in the local church to bless others and to bring glory to God. There are also physical blessings that we sometimes get. How about just getting out of bed in the morning? To many people, that's a blessing to be thankful for. We have our health, the air to breathe, food on our table, warm clothes, maybe a roof over our head, maybe not the greatest car in the block, but we have transportation. We have family, we have friends. I hope all of us here have some type of employment. And if you're not, then you just trust God that he's got something for you. Gratitude is expressed in our relationship with God. Instead of coming to him asking for things, how many times do we come to him and thank him for things? But I want to focus in on this word, in. It makes a difference. God is not instructing us to give thanks for everything that's in this world. 
But he said, in everything, give thanks. What's the difference? Whatever we are going through at any time, we should thank God. We may not always understand why certain events occur in our lives. We may, may not be able to see the good that God is bringing out of those circumstances. But we have God's infallible word and assurance and promise that all things work together for good. If we find ourselves in the midst of blessings, give thanks to God. Even if we find ourselves in the midst of trials and difficulties, continue to be thankful. We can in everything give thanks because we rejoice and we are praying without ceasing. We are grateful because we rejoice and we rejoice because we pray and because we pray we're grateful. As I said, they're connected. But the last part of this verse says, Be thankful, rejoice always, be in prayer. Why? Because it is God's will in Christ Jesus for us. This morning you're asking, what is God's will for me? He wants you to rejoice always. He wants you to continue to pray. And he wants you to be thankful in all things. Now, I could have easily spent a week on each one of these. But because of time, and I just wanted to give us an overview. And because this is what was on my heart some weeks ago when I went to this memorial service. The pastor read a part of this. And it just clicked in my heart and mind of how deficient I have been. So this morning, I wanted to encourage myself. And in doing so, I hope I encouraged you as well. When we look at our lives, each day, they're not perfect. The things we experience don't always benefit us. Our jobs are demanding. Our families are demanding. Our responsibilities sometimes overwhelm us. Keep in mind that although Paul was in prison, he was joyful and he was exhorting the church to be joyful. We can be joyful when we are praying. And when we pray, we are being thankful. And when we are being thankful, we are rejoicing. Eugene Peterson of The Message writes this, Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you to belong to Christ and to live in Him. So at the end of our outline here, you have a little section. You can fill these in, but you probably know them already. God reveals His will to us who are in Christ Jesus. God wants me to rejoice Always, God wants me to pray without ceasing. And God wants me to give thanks in all things. And we will finish with Romans 8.28. Because it's not just God will make all things good. There's a certain condition 
And that is this. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Those of us who are sitting here this morning who made that commitment in Christ. That's who he's talking about. Those of you who have not yet made that commitment, this is the hope that you can have in Christ. If you're here this morning and you haven't made that commitment, you might be saying, I have a pretty good life. I'm pretty happy all the time. I've got a good wife, good kids, good house, good job. Someday it's all going to come to an end because this is temporary. What lies after this is what you need to be rejoicing for and in. And prayer is a vital, vital tool we have in communicating with God, to God. And being thankful humbles ourselves. In the world in which we live, we look out and say, this isn't fair, that isn't fair. We're evaluating justice in the justice system of this world. God says, throw the justice system of this world out. Mine is higher. And it's eternal. And I have it waiting for you. To those who are called according to his purpose. This is his promise. You can go home this morning and bank on that. But his will is for you to rejoice, to pray continually be thankful in all things. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this word. Lord, although it's it could be spent hours and weeks just looking at these three descriptions that you have, these commands that you've given through Paul's letter. Lord, I pray that this morning that those who are here that heard this would be encouraged, not by the words I've said, Lord, but by your word. That your Holy Spirit would take that word and plant it and water it so that the fruit of that would develop in each one of our lives, Lord. Father, reveal those things that we're not rejoicing in and why. Reveal the reasons why we're not praying continually and also the, the things that keep us from being thankful. We have so much. We call upon you so little. This morning, Father, we come before you and we praise you for what we have. We praise you for this time we share. We praise you for the power and the presence of your word that we have been given. For God, that each one of us are without excuse. That the truth is set before us, Lord. And you've commanded us in our hearts, in our minds, in our attitudes, through the power of your spirit, to be in your will in these three situations. Father, thank you for getting me through this. I praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name.